doing it live into Johnny Ginter's computer. This is the Dubcast. Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter, bringing it to you. Uh, we do this every single week, and we've got ourselves, you know, this is exactly how we predicted. And I say yeah. that, telling you the truth, we really did predict that Ohio State would be in the college football playoff. We predicted that in our preseason preview. Um, we also predicted, I would say my good friend Johnny predicted, that the, the issue Ohio State would have would be the receivers. And so if you combine our two thoughts, my friend, we were spot on with God, this we're team. So we're so smart. Not- we really are. God, if only you only listen to this, it's all your information would get. Let me ask you this. Let's go back to Saturday. Yeah, because it was weird. It was weird for me not having Ohio State playing. And I walked around with the feeling of they're in, they're in, they're in. I did the radio show on Saturday morning and I'm, they're in, they're in. Look, they're in. It's a lock. They're in. Resume, resume, resume. They're in, blah, blah, blah. And I will say that as the games started to be played Saturday, a little bit of nerves <laughs> snuck in especially when Oklahoma started messing around and it was kind of close in the third quarter with Oklahoma state and Oklahoma and, and Oklahoma's up winning that kind of going away. So that's fine. You feel a little better. And then Penn state has this tremendous drama Saturday night and I'm going, boy, this committee, I've seen them be swayed by dramatics and there's all this big swell of momentum for Penn state. They're the hottest team in the country. They beat Ohio state head to head. They've won the big 10. You know, it was almost like everything that Penn State had done, you know, the 39-point loss to Michigan, the loss to Pitt was was forgotten. And and make no mistake, if they beat Pitt, it's them, not us. It's oh, really yeah. that simple. If they beat yeah. Pitt, they're in and we're out, clearly, despite the 39-point loss to Michigan. Was there ever a point Saturday when you got a little nervous at all? Because I admit that I did get a little kind of, boy, I could see how we could get ourselves out of this thing. I think Penn State would have had to done what Ohio State did in the Big Ten Championship in 2014. Yeah. Like, they would have had to just come out there and completely blow out Wisconsin uh, to make the same kind of statement that Ohio State did. For me to go like, yeah, I think, you know, they've got an argument. And frankly, I mean, I think they have an argument anyway. But, um, I mean, obviously not as good as Ohio State because they're, <laughs> you know, out in Ohio State's in. But I don't really think that I was ever really nervous. I think a lot of it is just, you know, they're playing, we're not, so they have the last word. I just don't think their last word was all that great. And, and the game was awesome. I mean, it was an excellent, was excellent game. game, but they didn't do enough. You got to come out and you got to be able to say, like, obviously we've improved over the course of the season. Obviously, we're one of the best four teams in the country. They didn't show that. Uh, they won the game, and that's awesome, but they really had to do more than just win the game, I think, to maybe prove it to the committee that they deserve to be in the playoff. Is there any part of you that can be happy for some people at Penn State or is it impossible for you to separate? <laughs> and the reason I say that is because one of my very good friends, Dave Trigar, who's yeah. a meteorologist at Channel 4 in Columbus with my wife, is one of my great friends. And he's a Penn State alumnus. And like this, was, this is one of the great years in his life, what, what's happened this year, considering what, that, what his program has been through. And, um, and I, there was part of me... Um, I guess I can, I can separate it Uh, right or wrong. I can separate, you know, Sandusky and all of that from this. And I, you know, these kids had nothing to do with that. And this coach had nothing to do with it. And I just think back to the Penn State, Ohio state game. There were people, uh, I remember we had the roar lions roar. We were talking and there were people, you know, the, that, that, um, that James Franklin was on a hot seat, that he was coach Mm -hmm. Kardashian, that he needed a win. And boy, look what that game did for him. And look what his team ended up doing. I marvel at what they did. I marvel what he did with Trace McSorley. I marvel at what he got out of that program. And it's stunning that that far removed from as close to the death penalty as you can get without getting it, they won the Big Ten. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I can admire it from the the sense that I mean, you're absolutely right. Where, where they came from, especially with like restrictions on their you know recruiting and all that other kind of stuff. Uh, James Franklin obviously did an incredible job coaching this year, and, and considering that they had a bunch of dudes, I don't think anybody really heard of you know before the beginning of the year. Yeah. Um, I I think it's an excellent coaching job. I think the team's also very good. I I can. You know, I can enjoy that on the base of I can feel good for their players and for their coaches. I don't really, yeah. you know, have any Penn State fans in my life that I'm like, okay, good for you, buddy. Go to the Rose Bowl. <laughs> and since I don't have that, I don't really feel that yeah. for, you know, you, Penn you State think about this, buddy. In a larger sense, because it's hard for me to do that because there's still yeah. people with like Joe Pa shrines in their basements and yeah, stuff that they, you know, that they burn not a good look. glasses to or whatever. But as a program yeah I, I can feel good for it as for the you know players and for the coaches i'm i'm cool with that and and again rose bowl isn't a terrible constellation prize although i will say that i'm sure that's not exactly uh you know that's kind of cold comfort for those guys i think on saturday so or on sunday yeah you, you know two things one if you think it wasn't long ago that illinois coaches were on their campus recruiting their players as they were getting out of practice <laughs> right. do you remember that I mean, yeah. like Tim Beckman, those guys were over there recruiting the players, Bill O'Brien's players coming out of practice to think they won the Big Ten, you know, three, four years later yeah. um, is, is pretty remarkable. But um, yeah, so so Penn State has a great, you know, in a way, I think this is better for them because they don't have to play Alabama. And I'm of the belief <laughs> that Alabama is a little bit different than everybody else this year. And, yeah. and I think that's, you know, you go to the Rose Bowl, you play USC and not bad. As for us. So obviously Ohio State gets in and um it's right where we think you know the two three we said last week on the show it doesn't matter all that really matters is what color jersey you're going to wear i am elated that they're going to wear the gray sleeves again i love that you know it's my favorite they're going to wear the same ones they wore in 14 a version of that uh the clemson matchup is an interesting one this will be a big ratings coup for espn to play this game at seven o'clock uh because you're going to get the south and you're going to get the rest of the country with ohio state uh, for those of us, uh, for those of our guys who get to go cover it with 11 Warriors and everybody else in the media, if you hear them complaining for one millisecond, slap them in the face because they're <laughs> going to get to stay at the Camelback Resort in Scottsdale, which is the best media hotel in the world for any venue ever. It's not even close. It, it's a resort. I mean, it's got a yeah. spa. It's got a BLT steak. It's got it's ridiculous. And, and that's what that's the media hotel. Um, so that's kind of the setup there. Bigger picture. I it's funny because we, we you and I try and led some level of perspective to things. And there have been so many times this season frustration with JT Barrett that the amount of social activity I get with uh, play Joey football and JT has no arm and JT stinks and he's gotten worse and Tim Beck's got to get fired and Warner's got to get fired. Urban, what's wrong with his offense? Not the same since Herman, blah, 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 blah. And then let this resonate. 40 some odd first year players are in the playoff and urban Meyer's best, most talented team, maybe that he's ever coached. And that saying something a year ago, didn't make it. And this team did. Right. I mean, this team has no business being in this spot. And I hope that there are Buckeye fans out there who can enjoy and appreciate the hell out of what this team did, regardless of how it ends up with Clemson or potentially Alabama. Because this has been a season, this is one of Urban Meyer's great coaching jobs, what he got out of this team this year. To think that Michigan had 43 seniors, Ohio State had 40-some first-year players, and, and it's Ohio State in the playoff and Michigan not, and you beat them to do it is kind of the clincher. 
man, appreciate that because that is a rare thing to have a down year. Rest assured, it's a down year for the program talent wise, right? They're 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 removed from 12 NFL draft picks and they're in the playoff. This is a down year. So be thankful for what you have in Urban Meyer and this program. I don't think it's ever been better than it is now. And to me, this season is the perfect example of that. Yeah. I mean, look, youngest team in college football, right? Which, I mean, that's not hyperbole. Like, in terms of starters and the the guys on the team, youngest team in college football, obviously problems with the passing game, you know, mostly from the wide receivers, but JT hasn't been great at times this year. Um, And yet, you navigate the toughest you know, conference in the United States, you beat the teams that you got to beat and you, you know, got to get a little lucky and avoid the big 10 game. And now you're all of a sudden in the, the playoffs. I mean, look, I predicted nine and three at the beginning of the season because I thought this was a nine and three team. And I don't know that talent wise, they're really, you know, playoff. Like, I don't know that they're going to really make a huge splash, but that doesn't really matter. The fact that they got there, the fact that they were able to navigate that and deal with the youth and deal with like the leadership issues and things like that. To get to this point, I mean, it's, it's like you said, coaching in college football means so much. And, mm-hmm. and people, I think, recognize that, but I don't think they really truly appreciate the level of skill that it takes for a very high-level program like Ohio State to continue that year after year after year. There's this assumption that it's always going to be great, and it's, right. it's not. <laughs> you lose your, basically your entire team in the NFL draft. You don't just replace that. And yeah, they had some struggles this year, but to get to the playoffs with the roster that they have, I think is really, really remarkable. Um, I think the matchup against Clemson is going to be really interesting. I'm excited to kind of break that down a little bit because I think that is going to be a really fun game to watch. And I'm just excited about it. I think it's going to be really cool to, to see how the team kind of prepares in the next several weeks because they've got, they got some time to game plan. They've got some time to figure some things out and it's going to be, I think it's going to be a cool matchup. I think, you know, Watson against that secondary is just going to be, that's going to be fun to see. It's a strength versus strength. I mean, we'll get into it over the coming weeks as we start to look more into it, and you and I will take a bigger look at Clemson and and get a better feel on them. I've seen him play four or five times this year, Clemson. And um, Watson, when he's on, is spectacular. I mean, he's a first-round NFL draft pick. They've got tons of talent on the outside. Dabo Sweeney has recruited like a madman. I mean, if you just go back historically over the last five years and just look at where his recruiting classes are, uh, you'll see that this is no mistake that he recruits at a high level. They are, along with Florida State, the most SEC programs that are not in the SEC. And their Florida State and Clemson are more SEC than some teams that are in the <laughs> SEC. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty close yeah. to Alabama. I mean, it's like them, Alabama, LSU, Florida, Georgia. There's like those five or six, Auburn. They have that big feel to them. I mean, both of those programs do. Um, and this says this is a Deshaun Watson who – Nick Saban a year ago when he almost single-handedly beat him in the in the national championship game said that's the best player I've ever coached against and he's coached against Tebow and he's coached against Cam Newton We're both pretty good and he said that's the best player so that's who we have to deal with and it's strength versus strength and that they're what they are best at is throwing the football and what we are best at is defending it and our defense is the strength of this football team from from, from you know we're three weeks away or better than that but from, from three weeks away, what I would say is that Ohio State has got to be able to throw the football. Oh, and yeah. And if they can't, it's done. Because Dalvin Cook and Florida State, Dalvin ran all over them, and they still beat them. They have got, you've got to throw the football to beat them. Now, the good news is it's climate controlled. It's indoor. JT should be able to spin the ball around. The climate won't be a problem. His issues throwing the football 
tend to happen in games where the climate isn't right. And he's going to get climate control in Arizona. So that's huge. But those receivers have got to make plays. And if they don't, I think it's going to be a long night for us. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be one of those things where it, the offenses are going to have to – I mean, it it's really going to be all about which team can exploit the weaknesses of the other defense. I mean, Ohio State, I think, can be run on to a certain extent. But obviously, you know, that's not what Clemson is going to try to do. So I think the biggest thing, especially for Ohio State going to this game – is to understand that, you know, when you've got the ball, you've got to sustain drives. Like, there has been times, especially in the last part of the season, where you'll have a really great drive followed by a drive that's a three and out. Like, you've got to be able to keep the offense on the field. And honestly, like, a lot of people want to do that through JT Barrett's legs, and that's what we've kind of seen offensively. But you're right, like, that's not going to be, I think, sustainable for an entire game against Clemson. And and look, Virginia Tech in in the championship game, I think, did a really, really great job at showing some of the weaknesses of uh, Clemson's secondary. And and I yeah. think there maybe are some opportunities there, but that means you've got to be creative with how you get Curtis Samuel downfield and some of the other guys. So um, they've got to sustain drives. That's the biggest thing for me. Try to get yards in chunks, 20 yards or more, and, and just, you know, figure out a way to be a little more creative than they've have been in the, you know, the past few games. Um, and please let Curtis Samuel play. Yeah, Can God. Let him play. I mean, can he get 20 touches? Just please. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I mean, at this point, why limit the dude? Give him 50 touches. Like, let him get involved as much as humanly possible. I'm looking, I'm doing my Heisman ballot over the weekend. I'm looking at him and I'm looking at the, I mean, the only thing that kept him off my ballot was just, he just didn't get enough touches. It's not his fault. He was spectacular. He just didn't get enough touches to warrant it. And, you know, especially in the big games, uh, you know, so that was, but anyway, we'll get into that in a second. But yeah, I mean, they they have to get him touches. I want to go back for a second. We'll talk more about Clemson as this game goes on and get you set for it before the game comes uh, on New Year's Eve night. You know, for years, if you were at Ohio State or Michigan, your goal in the beginning of the season was beat the other team, win the Big Ten, go to the Rose Bowl, right? I mean, forever. That's it. That was it, forever. If you think about this, Harbaugh was in a position over the weekend arguing that his team should have been in. And he had a legitimate case. His team played a tougher schedule than Washington. He's got a legitimate beef. Penn State had a legitimate beef. Both played tougher schedules than Washington. But from the Ohio State-Michigan perspective, and even to a lesser extent, the Urban Meyer perspective, you know, it's win the Big Ten. Beat Michigan, win the Big Ten. He didn't win the Big Ten, and he still gets to dance. Right. I mean, is this thing, is this playoff doing what it said it was supposed to do, which is, find the four best teams. To me, it seems like it's trying to find the four best and the four most deserving, and I'll explain why. It's trying to find the four best and that Ohio State is is in this thing. I think we can all acknowledge Ohio State deserved to be in this thing, especially after last year when they were one of the four best and they were left out because their resume didn't warrant it. But anybody who was was drafting teams last year would have put Ohio State as one of the four best teams. So they're in this year because they played Oklahoma, essentially. But they're also trying to do the most deserving. And that's where we get Washington in the mix. This is a Washington team who played nobody out of conference, and they were rewarded for it. They, they only played one really good team all year. It was USC. It was at home, and they got drubbed. Right. And they were rewarded with a spot in the playoff. When this committee was formed, one of the things they said is, we will ignore the wins and losses. We're looking for the best teams. If you play an ambitious schedule, we will reward you. What they have done is not that. What they've done is say, if you have one loss, it's a hell of a lot better than if you have two. And if you have same losses, then we'll look at schedule. So they're not doing necessarily what they're setting out to do. And if you need more proof of that, 
you can look at the college football playoff and you could look at the line that is there between Alabama and Washington. It's a line that opened at 14 and a half. As we, you know, do this podcast live into your computer, they are, it's at 16 and a half. <laughs> so they, that they're not the fourth best team, right? If yeah, Michigan no, were I mean, playing I, that game or Penn State were playing in that game, the number would not be 16 and a half. And if the objective is four best teams, then why don't they do it? I know the answer. It's political. Everybody on that committee represents different parts of the country. And those that represent the West Coast, we're going to have their name heard. But there's nothing that you can tell me that's tell, that will prove to me that Washington's resume is better than Michigan's or Penn State's. I just don't believe it. No, I mean, it's it's not. Well, I think what they're, they're out of conference, their big out of conference foe was Portland State or something. Buddy, they played like, Eastern the, Washington. They played Idaho. Yeah, like I mean, there on. are a lot of teams like I didn't know existed before they played them this year. I mean, I know Idaho right. or the Vandals, obviously. But... Smith or Urban, don't, don't you just say, well, why are we playing Oklahoma? Right. What the hell? <laughs> I mean, why are we, you know, now this time it saved Ohio State because they played Oklahoma and that's why they got in. Right. But if you look at Washington, Washington's road was win the Pac-12. And they did. They led one loss and they got in. Yep. Their resume doesn't deserve it. Well, and see, that's the thing, though, because I don't, I mean, I, I'm with you. I don't really know exactly what their criteria is supposed to be. I think to a certain extent, they're just trying to make people happy. And they, they want the conversation to be, you know, to self-sustain the, the committee. You know what I mean? Like, they want to choose the teams that will allow them to look, you know, the best, I guess. But be, beyond that, I the problem with, getting into these discussions with, you know, deserving teams and whatnot is just for me, the metric and the idea that Ohio state was able to do all this without winning the big 10. And yeah, for me, like, again, if you're looking at conference champions, at least as a, a reason to pick a team, right? If that's a, if that's a justifiable um, or a, a good piece on your resume to say that you won your conference, then I feel that it should trump some other things, right? Like, mm-hmm. I loved Ohio State's victory in September, but to a certain extent, you would think that Penn State's victory in late November in the toughest conference in the country might mean a slightly more than that because it takes place, you know, much more, you know, much closer to the actual games, the actual playoffs are going to be, you know, getting played. And I'm not making an argument for Penn State being in all, over Ohio State because I think, still think Ohio State's the better team. But my point is, is that it's so arbitrary. And I, I think it. it's hilarious. Yeah, I think it's hilarious that Ohio State could just strategically plan a loss every year when they're out of conference game, <laughs> strategically plan a Big Ten loss and go, all right, we're going to avoid that extra game so we don't lose and then just get in the playoffs anyway on their name recognition. And that's, I mean, and, and granted, that's a big and part resume. of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. a big part of it too, because, you know, I really think that, you know, I don't know. I'm not one of those people who believes that it's all about the name recognition. It's all about the ratings. I mean, if that's the case, Washington doesn't get in above Penn State. But I think right. there are a couple teams that they absolutely want to have uh, on that roster, you know, on that docket to get some ratings. And Ohio State is 100% one of those teams. I don't think that yeah. Penn State's one of those teams. They're definitely a blue blood, but they're not Ohio State when it comes to ratings. No, no. Penn State, Michigan, Notre Dame, USC. Uh, really, Penn State, Michigan, Notre Dame are the three biggest yeah. Uh, because even Alabama is a regional brand. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, those are the three biggest from a rating standpoint. There's a reason that all these years, despite how poorly they've been for 30 years, Notre Dame can have their own network uh, <laughs> right. because there's still tremendous interest in their program. No, I just take do that too. Um, it's, it's just interesting. I just wonder where we're going because like we, those college football uh, conference championship games were worthless. I mean, that was worthless for Alabama to play Florida. Um, you know, Penn State won a Big Ten championship. There's value in that, but they weren't rewarded the way that I think they probably should have been. 
Um, you know, Clemson, here's Clemson hanging on for dear life to try to beat Virginia Tech and escape out of that thing. I just right, wonder if that, they, no, but seriously, they were great games. Game and I'm like, why would Ohio State want any part of that? Like, why would you want any part of a game where you're going to look bad against a lesser opponent? Maybe you win, yeah. but it doesn't help you. I mean, Ohio State sits, you know, sits on their couches on Saturday and chills out, you know, sips, you know, a little martini and then they get into the right. big or the, the playoffs on Sunday. Like that's that's the ideal scenario for any coach. Yeah, I mean, really, that's it. I mean, it. There's there were two ways to go in this. I mean, Ohio State and Washington provide you the two roadmaps. Number one is you're a big brand like Ohio State. You schedule a great non-conference game. You win that game, and you're afforded the luxury of a loss. Or you're Washington. You schedule nobody, and you, you play in a Power Five conference that's not going to get left out for a second straight year. Right. So it's just arbitrary. The word that's it. I mean, there's just no. It's so nebulous. There, there's got to be some way. I. I, I actually preferred the BCS where I knew what was being put into it, where I knew there was strength to schedule. I knew opponents mattered. I knew, you know, in this thing, it's just these these people, and it's always going to get political because they all represent a different part of the country. So, yeah. look, in the end, you're going to get you're going to get one great game. I mean, Ohio State Clemson will be a great game. I, I I mean, whatever the line is on Alabama Washington, I will bet Alabama to cover it. I mean, it's a home <laughs> game that you're asking a, a school from Seattle, Washington, to travel to Atlanta. <laughs> the heart, the capital of the South. Yeah. And you're asking them to go down there and beat. I mean, they're going to get drubbed. They will be drubbed in that game. I mean, that will be a, a, a beat down and whatever the line is, it, it can be 21 and a half. I'll bet Alabama in that game. That would be one of the biggest, if they can keep it close, I'll be shocked. Um, number one, Alabama's talent discrepancy is enormous. And then number two, it's a home game. And they're not like Ohio State. I mean, when, when Ohio State in 2014 went down to New Orleans, I mean, that was going into the Lions' den for sure. But if you, I was at that game. That was a 50-50 crowd. And Ohio State maybe had a slight advantage. I mean, that's how big Buckeye Nation is, that they could go into New Orleans and, and maybe have a bigger crowd than Alabama in their own backyard. Washington doesn't have that, man. I mean, this is going to be – it'll be crimson and cream everywhere. I want to say uh, something. All though. over in there. Here's how dumb I am, though. All right, I, I see this matchup between Washington and Alabama. You know what? You know what the first thing I think is, right? What's that? Boise State, Oklahoma. Right. <laughs> Everybody's saying the same thing. Right. <laughs> it's stupid. It makes no sense. But because the right. coach is the same, I'm like, well, you know, Statue of Liberty. Yeah, I mean, he did it once before. He did it over Little Game Bob, though, not Nick Saban. Right. Right. You know no, I, mean? I know. Like, it's not. It's not a sensical. It's stupid. I know it's a dumb argument. No, no. I know, that's but that's just, it's it's smart that you connect the dots on that because I mean, Boise State shocked the world. Right. They did. But I mean, in terms of Saban losing games, Nick Saban has only lost one game in a bowl that mattered, and it was in 2014. That's yeah. it. Every other game he's won, and yeah. boy. I, I just feel like that's a hornet's nest situation. Um, and I think our game will be great, uh, that night game. I mean, it's going to set up for a nice New Year's Eve. It's not going to be as good in numbers as it was when, when the games were played on New Year's Day, but um, it'll be decent. And then with Ohio State in the primetime game against Clemson, it'll be pretty good. A lot of star power in our game. Uh, a chance to see Deshaun Watson plays, you know, potentially his final game. And then for Ohio State, win or lose, what a tremendous springboard. I mean, Heck, they're on the precipice of a national title themselves. And, and, and not only that, if it goes the other way, what a springboard towards next year when you're going to have the majority of this team coming back. Oh, yeah. But again, just to kind of bring it full circle, good Lord, appreciate this, because there are programs who would die 
for the situation that on a down year you're in this college football playoff. I mean, that's pretty ridiculous. You know about Michigan with all those seniors, they're going to go play Florida State. What in like where the heck are they playing Florida State? Is that the Orange Bowl? I think so. I mean, that's going to be dreadful. Yeah, it's going to be dreadful. <laughs> uh, Penn State is going to play USC. It's the Rose Bowl, so that's at least it's a great venue. Um, so, but boy, you want to talk? It's just a tremendous difference. And to have all those first-year players and to get into it, it's it's Urban's best job. And I know that he's gotten a lot of criticism, um, and but at the same time, delivered. The other thing I wanted to bring up real quickly on this as we kind of put this whole season in perspective, the regular season anyway, is is the job that Luke Fickle did coaching the yep. defense with Greg Schiano. I mean, buddy, those two guys being able to get along and be have the cohesive group pairing that they had, that's the story of the season to me. We did on the show today on Time Warner Cable Sports Channel. You can check it out this week. We had a great season ender show. And we were handing out, you know, offensive MVP, defensive MVP. Um, what was it most improved? I mean, my defensive MVP was Malik Hooker. My most improved was Marshawn Lattimore. I mean, you look about and and Zach and and Tim and Eric all had we all had kind of the same grouping of guys. And the defensive guys were all the most uh were all the most improved. And you'd say, wow, look what they got out of that group. All those guys in the pros on defense, and look what they got. That's the best, most aggressive Ohio State defense that I've seen in the urban era, and that's awesome. And they're all kids, and they got it out of them. And tip your hat to those guys. And I saw Doug LaMaurice's piece in Cleveland.com where he interviewed Luke and his, and his wife Amy before the season. Luke wants to be a head coach. He's, he's earned the right to go do that. Isn't it crazy how coach. long he's been at Ohio State at this point? It's not. Like that's what right? kind of blew my mind. I don't. I don't think it's about not. that. Right. I didn't think about it. But he's been at Ohio State for a really long time, and obviously, you know, he had kind of a shot to to be a head coach for a year. But like, it, I, it struck me that a guy who has really kind of stuck around and survived for that long and really made a huge impact. I mean, the Duke can obviously coach yeah. uh, position groups, but um, yeah, I just I, I think that you know, with reference to that piece, I think he definitely deserves a shot. And given the dudes. Uh, service to the, the the university and everything that he's kind of gone through. I mean, I want him to be successful. I think I would expect him to maybe bounce uh, this year, but it's going to be an interesting offseason for that too, because you've got a lot of coaches who I think me- might be looking at some uh, head coaching gigs. Um, and they the just aren't that many gigs. Is the yeah. only is the only hiccup. I mean, Purdue and Indiana are already filled. Texas is filled. Houston's going to fill. I mean, you're looking at Oregon, Temple, and and usually most of the people who have been fired have already been fired. So unless like PJ Fleck takes one of those, I mean, there's just not a jobs out there. And here's the tricky part for Luke. You know, Luke's going to make close to a million dollars this year, and he's been making over seven hundred for four or five years now. So he's really getting paid, and he's got six kids under fourteen. He can't, <laughs> in my opinion, like, do you go take the job at like FAU for two years, and what if you fall on your face, and then what? Yeah. Like, you can't do a Daryl Hazel. You know, you can't go to a place you can't win because if you're bounced in two or three years, now you've got six kids under 16 or 17. And now money's not going to be a problem. He's going to have some money. But does he just come back to Columbus and just, what, sell pharmaceuticals? Like, it's a tougher spot. Like, he's always going to have a place to coach. But, like, do you want to get on that carousel of every two or three years, you're going to be a coordinator somewhere else. In the piece, they said they didn't want any part of that. The place they go next is the place that they want to be. But you better you better you find be the right job, and you better yeah. be damn good at your job. Right. Being a head coach, you better be really good at it because th- there's no such thing as a ten year hire. I mean, that right. doesn't happen. So, like wherever they go, 
you know, that's why I think Pitt would be ideal. Cincinnati would be perfect. I don't know. I, the problem is, is I think that job is going to be coveted by former head coaches um, and, and really high profile people because there aren't a lot of openings this year. So I think Cincinnati will be coveted by a lot of people, but I could see why Luke would love that job. That would really be the perfect one where you can win pretty big there. You get paid a good salary and it's pretty close to home, but he's got to be pretty careful with that because boy, it's just like in the, in the television business, uh, it's very similar is, you know, like you build up a commodity in a place. And then if you're run out of that place, then you got to start over and, yeah. you know, you could get on a carousel and you can't get off where every two years you're mo just moving markets randomly and you can't do that with a family. And, and that's the same thing Luke can get into if he's not careful. So that's a tough spot. That's a really tough spot for him. It's these are first world problems, Johnny. I'm not pretending it's a real problem, <laughs> but I mean, it's a guy making almost a million dollars a year, but at the same right. time, it's a lot to consider. Well, and I think that's played into his, you know, thinking staying at Ohio state for as long as he has, you know, I, I don't think that's, I, I'm sure that's at the forefront of his thinking. I, I know that his family and, and their stability is important to him and, and how it affects his thinking about, you know, where he wants to coach and whatnot. Actually, I want to ask you, what do you think about Shiano mm -hmm. then? I mean, that dude, I think, I don't think anybody would say he doesn't have any designs on another head coaching gig, but oh, do you yeah. think he just sits out a year and looks for something else to open up or does he maybe no, seriously he approach Oregon? I think I think or I think he's smart enough to see that Oregon's not what it was. Right. I mean, the, Oregon was built on being the only team that played spread, that played fast, that had a billion uniforms, and now every team plays spread and plays fast and has a billion uniforms. So the reality of Oregon is, you're two and a half hours from Portland. It's a tough job. That's not. I mean, the Nike stuff is great, but Phil Knight has let everybody do that. I mean, in a way, he cut his own. He's cut his own program's legs out. Yep. By letting everybody do the uniforms. Now everybody yep. can do the uniforms, so it's done. I mean, there's not there's nothing special to it. And now you're trying to convince kids, you know, from California and Texas to come to Eugene, Oregon. That's a tougher sell. I mean, that's a tougher sell. And Shiano, to my knowledge, has no experience on the West Coast and has no experience in that part of the country. So I would think that he would do what all of what Urban asks all of his guys, you know, two-year commitment. I would think Shiano would, you know, if Luke moves on. Shiano becomes the sole defensive coordinator. He coaches one more year under Urban, and then he sees what opens up. And, you know, who, who knows what it could be. But, I mean, he would be on the short list at a lot of places. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly any, almost anywhere in the Northeast and, um, you know, the Midwest. I mean, hell, I could see, you know, maybe even Notre Dame or something. I mean, Notre Dame might shoot bigger. But, I mean, I think, like, a great job would be, his, you know, in his sights if he sticks around another year. because. I mean, what he did at Rutgers, look at what, look what Rutgers is now. I mean, and to think what he did there, that's a tough spot to win, and he won a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and I don't know. It's just I think about this a lot because I've always thought that at a certain point there's just going to be some kind of massive attrition on the coaching staff, and I know obviously Urban Meyer plans for that and whatnot, but I, I, it feels to me like the Ohio State coaching staff has just undergone so much transition. Really, to me, that's what the most remarkable part of what Urban Meyer's done at Ohio State is, is that you have so much uh, transition and people coming in and out, and they've got different ideas, but to maintain that, like, still, you know, that attitude and that semblance and of, uh, you know, just what an Urban Meyer team is, despite the fact that you've got different coordinators coming in and out, I think is really impressive. And granted, I think it suffered a little bit um, offensively maybe, but overall it's kind of remarkable the cohesion that these guys still have, despite 
you know, dudes leaving and, and taking on bigger jobs. And I think that was kind of part of what I was thinking about with Luke Fickle is that he sees these guys, you know, peace out. And it's like, am I just, am I on the Larry Johnson train? Am I just going to do this for life? Or am I going to try to like, you know, use my youth a little bit and, and see what I can make of it. So I don't know. I well, mean, I wish funny him the best whatever that. he does, but I, I something it's... jumps out to me when you say that at Florida state, Bobby Bowden had two defensive coordinators, essentially yeah. Chuck Amato, and uh, the other one's name was Mickey Andrews. Mickey Andrews, one of the great defensive coordinators of all time. Mickey Andrews stayed as the defensive coordinator at Florida State for his the entire almost the entire Bowden run, and was with Bowden until Bowden retired. The entire run, he had offers, wouldn't go, and stayed as defensive coordinator at Florida State. Chuck Amato leaves to go coach NC State, has tremendous success early at NC State, but then bottoms out at NC State, kind of meanders his way back to Florida State as a linebackers coach, I think, towards the end of Bowden's run. And then as Bowden retires, Chuck's out of a job. Guess where Chuck Amato is now? Do you know where he is? Uh, I don't know. He's on I the don't. defensive staff at Akron. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Terry Bowden. Yeah. That is what can happen to you. Yeah. Now, Chuck doesn't need the money, but he's still coaching. He's coaching at Akron. Now, you think about that. And that's when you say like the Larry Johnson thing and, and you're right. Like you have these windows and you have to strike while the iron's hot. Luke had a hot iron around 2010. We interviewed at Pitt um, and you know, it was hot then. And now he's kind of gone through here now. Here we are 20 end of 2016 and he's still on the defensive staff. This is his, you're not going to have a better, you know, reputation resume builder than what he did this year. I mean, with this young defense to do this, the iron is hot. Now, the other thing that has happened, though, is the jobs have to be open. And right now, there aren't any. I mean, there's Cincinnati. And my guess is he's would, my guess is that through whatever channels, Luke's people are actively pursuing Cincinnati because that would be about as close to a, a dream job out of his circumstance as anything would be. Because you could go down there. First of all, you could stay there for 10 years if you wanted to. It's a great city. You can recruit. They have money. They have decent facilities. They're in a decent conference. All of those things. But, um, but the other part of it is, uh, if you want to move on from on there, you can go anywhere. I mean, Dino went to Michigan state, Kelly went to, uh, Notre Dame and, uh, the crew cut dude ended up at Tennessee. So they've got, (laughs) you can do it pretty easily, you know, there. So I would imagine he will pursue Cincinnati vigorously. And then if the Cincinnati doesn't work out, then he's in a situation where he's probably gonna have to come back. And uh, and coach another year at Ohio State, and then maybe he does get into that Larry Johnson situation. And they're worse problems to have than right. making close to a million bucks a year coaching defense at your alma mater. But he clearly has bigger ambition. Right. And I was just I was just thinking of the Bud Foster situation at Virginia Tech, and like yeah. it, it takes a certain level of humility to be able to do that kind of thing. And I know a lot of these guys really like they got an ego. You know, they've got this you know, feeling about themselves that they can go on and do bigger and better things and win national championships. And I think it takes a certain kind of person to go, you know what, maybe that's not in the cards for me yet. I don't know which kind of person Luke Fickle is. I mean, he may be the kind of guy who wants to go and win national championships. Um, But if he's going to do it, this is the time to do it. Like it's in the next, either this year or next year, because after that you become a lifer. And I don't want any problem with that because I love Luke Fickle. I think he's a great coach. Um, but he's now's the time for choosing and it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. Fascinating stuff. And there could be a lot of that, you know, movement. I would assume that Cincinnati job would have every Ohio state assistant who wants to coach against full interest. Yeah. You know, okay. That's a good job. 
absolutely. He can absolutely win there, you know. Um, all right, so this weekend, we have three big things going on this weekend in college football. you got Army-Navy. You've got the Heisman Saturday. And then following the Heisman is Catholics versus convicts, the 30 for 30 on Miami <laughs> and Notre Dame. Now, this yeah. is strange. This is the third 30 for 30 that involves the University of Miami. What's interesting about that is that the University of Miami does not have a fan base that, gener- that needs or demands that type of coverage from ESPN. Uh, no. But for whatever reason, they were an interesting program in the 80s and 90s, for sure, in the early 2000s. They have been completely lack of interest for 15 years, uh, but they were really interesting during spurts. Um, but so you, I do remember Catholics and convicts very well. I remember those games. I remember the fights. And those were two big-time programs in the late 80s when those teams played every year. Um, of the three, what, what, which will you watch? What are you most looking forward to? So between Catholics versus convicts, the Army Navy game. What, what was the yep. other one? Heisman. Heisman. I right. guess we know that that's not at the top. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I look. I. I'm not a huge like the Heisman's interesting to me if an Ohio State player is challenging for it. Otherwise, to me, it's just kind of another award show. I mean, it's it's an important award, but I I get sour on it because it's so narrowly decided between the best running back or the quarterback generally. Right. I, I look. I, there have been several years where that's not been the case. Uh, the best player was not one of those players, and I, you know, I was always hoping as a little kid, like, when when's the punter going to win this? And I'm like, oh, never, <laughs> little Johnny. That's never going to happen. Little Johnny, he'll never win it. No. Yeah. <laughs> so I, that that to me is not as big of a deal. Um, I, I enjoy, you know, I remember even as a little kid the Catholic versus convicts thing, and and that was kind of a thing that I think even kids in elementary school are aware of because I know kids would talk about it you know, on Fridays, like talking about, you know, Notre Dame and, and Miami and whatnot. But for me, the Army-Navy game really is a different kind of football game than you will see played at any other time in the season. And I think sometimes they don't, I don't think they market it, at least the, the you know, the, the people who show it on television. I don't think it's necessarily portrayed in the right way. Um, I would rather them focus on the fact that these guys are not necessarily like student athletes in the traditional sense. I think they have much more, you know, much larger responsibilities on their shoulders. And I I think that to me makes uh, this game more fascinating, but I just, I love seeing the fact that, you know, people who are tasked with defending the country and who that they're literally going to school to learn how to do that. This is like a hobby for them. You know, most other, you know, marquee schools, like that's it. That's all they do. These guys, they're out there giving 110,000%, and they're playing a sport that's incredibly physically demanding and really takes up a lot of your mental capacities. But for them, that's not, that's like a side gig, you know? That's just fun for them. And so to me, that makes it more fascinating because you see these guys who are like completely devoted to something totally different, totally other than football, and yet they're still taking their time to kind of entertain each other. To me, the collegial aspect of it is even increased because of that. Like you, you know, you watch Ohio State, Michigan, and it's a great tradition and all that other stuff. But it's it's not the same kind of feeling as two colleagues who really respect each other who are trying to just like have a good time on the weekend. To me, that's what the game's about, and that's what I really enjoy watching about it. You hit it on the head perfectly. The um, have you been to either West Point or Annapolis? I haven't, and I would really like to someday because I think it would be a really great trip, especially Annapolis, which I heard is beautiful. I have not been to West Point. I've been to Annapolis. One of my uncles went to the Naval Academy. I have uh, all my my three or four uncles at all were in the Navy. One went to the Academy. Um, And the 
I will say that Annapolis, Maryland and the United States Naval Academy is one of the coolest places I've ever been on planet globes. I mean, it is one of the most inspiring, cool, beautiful, idyllic places. I'll never forget coming out of the main, um, we were coming to the main building there. They have a, they, you know, they, I don't even know all the technical terms for it, but they get everybody in <laughs> and they go have lunch. Right. So they get all these, you know, middies are out there and they're all getting ready and they're going to go have lunch. They do it in a specific way because, well, they're in a military academy and they don't just walk in. Right. So <laughs> after that, we walk out and there's a, a parking spot for the Admiral of the Naval Academy. Right. And <laughs> in it is like a 1964 Jaguar. And oh I said, that's God. perfect. Like, Call sign Viper is getting into that thing and driving to some, you know, bungalow with the view of the Chesapeake. Like this is flawed. This is exactly what it should be like. The other thing that's interesting is everything you said is true about the way that they view it. And doesn't that make you appreciate what Navy has been able to do all the more? Oh man. Kids. I mean, you think about what they've done, what, what they have done over the last decade, not necessarily in the army Navy game, but what they've done out of conference, what they've done in their conference, The, the 9, 10, 11 win seasons that they've strung together year in, year out. And, and they, I mean, they're training these kids to, you know, to defend the United States of America. And they, to your point, they are playing football as kind of a hobby. And, and yet they beat, I mean, they beat Tom Herman this year. Like they beat yeah. people yeah, a lot and they make it Nothing. difficult when they play good teams, they make it difficult on them. So yeah. I have the utmost respect for that. I love the pageantry of it. I love seeing, uh, you know, the cadets and the midship, you know, that on each side, you know, in their full dress, you know, their dress uniforms. That's just awesome. I love the uniforms that they're going to wear. Did you see the army uniforms that they're going to wear in the game? Uh, no, paying yeah, homage no. to the 82nd Airborne. I mean, I this is unbelievable. That. They're unbelievable. They're paying homage to the 82nd Airborne. They're phenomenal. Like, I'm not a uniform guy. If I could buy these, I've already looked. You can't. But I, if I could, I would in a second. They're that cool. Um, so it's got all the things that you want. It's it's great, and I I I I look forward to it. It's not the most aesthetically pleasing game, but it's usually it's been a really good game a lot of times. Navy's won like fifteen years in a row, so it'd be nice if if the cadets could 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 get a win this 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 time around. But it's I'm with you. I mean, it's the the Heisman it, to me is a foregone conclusion with Jackson and the you know Catholics versus convicts. I'll definitely watch because I give all the thirty for thirties a chance, but I I don't think it has the juice of some other ones. Um, just because I've seen so much about Miami. Like, I just don't need to see any more about Miami right. football. Um, yeah. Do we have, we have time for some Ask Us Anything? You got any for me? Uh, What's that, yeah, buddy? Yeah, we do. We've got a couple questions real quick. And by okay. the way, just one last thing about the Army Navy. Nothing brings me more glee than watching a service academy with size restrictions on their players beating yeah. like teams that are just have like 5,000 pound monsters that are seven feet tall. Like, I love that. I absolutely love that. How many and people course- do you think are aware of that? That's a great point that is not often discussed. I mean, they're tiny dudes, like they yeah. and they have to be, especially in the Navy. Yeah. <laughs> well, they don't right. have a choice. They have no choice. They have no yeah. choice. So that, That's right. That cracks me up. Um, yeah. Yeah. Their uh, their head coach, who I always butcher the pronunciation of his name, but um, Ken. Just call him Coach Ken. Ken. Coach Ken. Incredible. Uh, By the I way, that's who they should hire at Oregon. Yeah, well, yeah, that's, I mean. They should hire him at Oregon because, and and instead of going spread and all that, go the other way. Right. And recruit, you know, wishbone, triple option. Right. Do that. And and then go recruit all the, all the really fast quarterbacks who, who can't throw, but still want to play quarterback. 
You do that in Oregon. Be, be Georgia Tech West. I think that would be pretty sweet. I yeah, I re- I'm serious. Like, they have to do something different. I think that might work. Yeah. No, well, especially, I mean, you got to have – the thing about Oregon is that you got to have some kind of, like, goofy offensive identity, right? Like, if yeah. everybody's, you know, biting your style with the uniforms, you got to be cool on the field. Like, you got to show something unique. So that might be it, honestly. Maybe that's it. I think it would be sweet. Uh, ask us anything. We do have a couple questions here. You guys can ask us anything. Send us an email to at 11 dub or excuse me, at dub or dubcast at 11 warriors.com. Sorry. You can hit us up on Twitter by going at 11 dubcast. Uh, we'll start with Alvin here. He wants to know who wins the conference title first coach Orgeron Ed Orgeron or Tom Herman. Tom Herman. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. He doesn't have to go through Nick Saban. Right. You know, I'm, and really, Charlie Strong, Tom Herman is to Michigan what Jim Harbaugh, or is to Texas what Jim Harbaugh is to Michigan. Charlie Strong is to Texas what Brady Hoke was to Michigan. Brady Hoke recruited pretty well at Michigan yeah. for all the laughter of of him being just an, a crazy coach and wearing T-shirts and ten degrees, all that nonsense, saying Ohio, all that nonsense. He recruited pretty well and it set Harbaugh up to where he could win immediately. And the same will be true of Tom at Texas. Tom's going to take it to another level, just like Jim is doing with recruiting, but Charlie strong recruited pretty well. They played a lot of young guys. I think Tommy could win a, a championship, a conference championship at Texas. Maybe not next year. Cause Oklahoma's loaded, but the year after I could see him doing it. Yeah. I mean, what the pack or the, the big 12, you got to get through like basically one or two teams, right? I mean, that's basically it. Yeah. Baylor's yeah. fell off a cliff. Yeah. West Virginia's not sustainable. So you get, you win the red river rivalry, red river shootout and, you're in good shape. Yeah, so I, I agree 100%. I think Tom Herman, I mean, honestly, I'd be shocked if he doesn't get it in the next two or three years. Uh, all right, this is from Alex. Uh, he basically wants to know, so he says, have we ever noticed the fact or wondered why the team hasn't run a lot of counter or misdirection plays um, in the past like year or so, um, especially since that was kind of the bread and butter of the team for a while? Um, and I, I think I, I kind of get what he's you know getting at there. It, sure. it feels like they haven't really opened up the playbook as much as they did in 20, uh, 2014. Um, so do, yeah. have you noticed that? Yeah, for sure. I think lack of imagination offensively has been pretty glaring the last couple of years. I think the loss of Tom hurts. Um, you haven't seen many jet sweeps. I mean, you think of many times in 2014, JT Barrett rode the jet sweep to finishing fifth in the Heisman, you know, that yeah, shovel pass. Right. I mean, he ran that. They ran it a thousand times to Jalen Marshall. I mean, he, and those all were considered passing yards for JT. So, um, you know, they, ha- you don't see that much and yeah, I do. I, I do think that, I think that the lack, I think Tom was a creative thinker and I think that, you know, his game plans, you know, it's urban's overseeing all of it. That was his offense too. I'm not taking anything away from urban, but I do think the loss of Tom was big. And I think, you know, the counter misdirection stuff and, and certainly those jet sweep shovel passes, you know, we just haven't seen him in the last two years. Yeah, a lot of that was Tom Herman, uh, especially with the the counter and the the, the misdirection and whatnot. Um, he, you know, Alex also asked about like Noah Brown and why Noah Brown's only averaging four targets a game, uh, in part because he can't get separation. I would say not fast, <laughs> like, right? I mean, yeah. you see, well, you probably saw this year. Not open, like yeah. Don't you think? I think you saw this year why a lot of why you know there was talk of him playing tight end. Yeah, because I just don't think he can he can't get separation. So he's a big kid with great hands. And you can see how, you know, as a red zone, even that dissipated, though, the red zone targets dissipated. You know, certainly after the after the Oklahoma game, you thought he was going to, you know, be a red zone fixture. And it it just didn't happen. I I can't explain it. um, But the reason I mean, certainly the one I can't explain, and that's that he just doesn't have the speed, apparently, to get separation. 
Yeah, so I would say that's that's probably the, the best explanation. And again, that becomes more important for guys like Marcus Ball and Curtis Samuel to get really involved in the passing game uh, against Clemson. So hopefully that happens. Hopefully, you know, yeah. hopefully we can just ride, you know, Curtis Samuel and he can play every single position possible and, and be exhausted <laughs> right. at the end of the game and die. And I feel, I mean, I don't right. like, but seriously, like that's something I want to go back to a little bit because sure, look, I understand saving Curtis Samuel and saying, all right, we're going to win the touches and whatnot. But at this point, what, no, no. what I don't are you think doing? it was ever like, about that. You don't think so? Don't you think, think it was just no. about like, getting the other guys I think involved? Urban Meyer in close games was, let's, how's, how do I win the surest way? JT right. runs. I don't JT I runs. feel like the surest way is giving Curtis Samuel the ball 50 times. Like, I understand I don't... that. But remember who Urban spends most of his time with in, in, in practice. It's with right. the quarterbacks. Right. Who does he trust the most? The quarterbacks. Who are his favorite best players? The quarterbacks. I mean, he spends all his time with them. He trusts, yeah. whether you go all the way back, you go Tebow, Braxton, JT. It's always the quarter, Josh Harris. It's right. always Alex Smith. It's always the quarterbacks. They're his best players. They're his most valuable. They're who he trusts the most. It's win the surest way. And he believes it's with JT running it in tight games. Yeah. Well, and, and honestly, though, like if it comes to that against Clemson, I think Ohio State's got bigger problems than, than finding touches. Yeah. And, and, yeah, maybe they do get exposed. I mean, that could happen. I mean, I, yeah, they got to throw the ball. And, yeah. you know, that was when I was doing my Heisman ballot and I was a big champion for Curtis, you know, for the second half of the year. I really thought, I remember talking about this on the cast. I really thought he had a chance to get into the, not win it, but I thought he had a chance to be the Midwest representative. And the way that he just didn't get at bats yeah, was just stunning. I mean, when I went back game to game and I went, boy, how does he only get, eight touches how's he get eight touches i mean that guy he should have 20 in every game and a lot of times he'd have eight he'd have seven so he just didn't get the at bats yeah and that that just it just blows my mind i mean i don't i mean i, I get it like you want the ball in the hands of the dude who doesn't turn it over high state's been a really really good team about how, holding on to the ball um yeah. but man i you gotta you gotta let talent go and, and i just I don't know. I was shocked by how little he was involved in the offense in the past, like three or four games. Cause I would have thought that they would just would have throw caution. Oh, to the Michigan wind state, Michigan. Yeah. Penn state. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's what I'm looking hard. for. And that's what I really want to see in, you know, in the matchup against Clemson. I just want to see them like, you know, trust him as much as they trust JT Barrett and look, nothing against JT Barrett. Like I know he hasn't had an amazing year, but you know, he's a consistent dude. He's a great leader all that good stuff, but you, you got to be more than that. And you've got to have more weapons than that. So if you're we'll see how that works out. Championship, you're going to beat Clemson. You do. Yeah. No, no kidding. No <clears throat> kidding. Uh, so that's ask us anything this all week. Right, Again, if you have any more questions, please send them in and we'll, we'll get to them uh, before bowl season starts. Yeah. And we'll have next week. We'll do the holiday edition, right? Yes. Should we do the holiday edition next week. Cause it, yeah, probably. Yeah, I think that's probably a good idea. Everybody's yeah. going to be starting to gear up for Christmas. I think the holiday edition is a, a good choice for the, uh, yeah, for what is okay. that? The 13th? So we'll come up with some spe- special 14th. awards and gifts. All right, buddy. All right, good times as always. We will talk to you next week. Yep, sounds good.